There's a growing interest out there in making portfolios more sustainable. But what does that mean? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. And by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It is the week of September 21, 2020, and I am very excited about this week for two reasons. First, it's Zero Emissions Day. So it's a, gl- a 24-hour global moratorium on fossil fuels. And two, and possibly more importantly, Lauren is back. Welcome. Yay! Welcome back. <laughs> How was the hiking? How was nature? Nature was formidable, as nature is uh, is want to be, but it was great. I missed you guys, though. It's great to be back here on the Market Matters podcast. Yes, it's great to have you, too. Missed you as well. Uh, Much-deserved vacation, um, and I'm glad to have you back because this week is we're, ta- we're tackling a tough topic, sustainable, responsible investing. Oh, this one is so important. And having been uh, camping in, uh, well, first of all, nature, but also among wildfires and, and record cold fronts, um, it's just something that's been a focus for us um, and really a mainstream focus in 2020. Uh, we've talked about this before with respect to um, our outlook and the COVID-19 pandemic, but the environment this year has really accelerated a lot of trends. But one trend in particular, which I think is what we're getting at here today, is just the way that investors analyze companies. The pandemic itself has highlighted the importance of monitoring not only a business's profits, revenues, all the financials, but also their business practices, their ability to uh, analyze risk and generate profit sustainably. It, it certainly did. Uh, and now investors are even more conscious of the importance of incorporating these non-financial risks, as you brought up, into their investment framework. We have received a ton of questions and a lot of interest from our listeners and investors about this new topic but also not so new topic uh, about ESG investing. For those listeners who maybe aren't fully aware of ESG investing and the frameworks we're going to be talking about, what are ESG investments and how do they fit into a portfolio today? (laughs) That's a really big question. And I think that is the question right now that the industry is debating. What is ESG and how do you implement it into a portfolio? This whole topic could be its own podcast. All right. Well, we'll have to have a mini series about it then. Yes, that would be awesome. Seriously, though, this is there, there's so much we could dig into around ESG investing, what it is, how you measure it, all the different ways that folks are thinking about implementing it in their portfolios. And there's a lot there. There's a lot of different ideas and theories and choices. So we're only going to scrape the surface today, but this is our view. Um on an enduring trend, something that we think is here to stay. And so, Robert, why don't you actually get into like, what is ESG investing? Where can we start on this topic? I think you you have to start with the acronym, what, what ESG stands for. And it's just metrics to analyze a company. The E stands for a company's environmental impact. Uh, 
The S stands for its the company's social responsibility. And G measures if the company operates with good corporate governance. And think of these as risk factors. So they're just ways to explain the performance of a company and the risk that that company takes. Okay. So thinking about them as risk factors, just again, for the sake of our audience, other risk factors include things like model risk or credit risk or political risk, some that are more regularly a part of the the financial lexicon, if you will. So if we're adding these three new factors into an investment strategy, how do you do it? Like what's the starting point on implementing ESG? Yes. And that's where the conversation tends to be a little bit tricky because there's no one size fits all way to implement ESG metrics into a portfolio. So that'll differ by firm and by an investor's goals and circumstances. There are a lot of ways to implement this analysis into a portfolio, and there's a lot of different ESG strategies out there. Like most things, again, it comes down to an investor's goals. You're, uh, you're, you're becoming a real strategist when it always starts with an investor goals, but I, I do think it's true. Um, so a way then maybe to reframe or think about ESG investing is that it's a, it's a toolkit that can be applied to an investment process how you use the tools or which tools you focus on then depend on the investor. Yes, that is exactly right. And for New York Life Investments, for for our firm, it's all about sustainability as a toolkit. So you're incorporating sustainable investable criteria into every single investment decision that you're making. And by doing that, you can, hopefully it helps to better manage risk and generate sustainable long-term returns But it also, again, to bring it back to goals, it empowers investors to align their investments with their values. I like what you're saying there about values and that you brought it back to um, New York Life Investments in this case, because, you know, if you think about it being the asset management arm of an insurance company, there is a, um, a focus on outcomes over a longer period of time. Um, And so, it makes sense that the company would think about it this way, but it really, it sounds like we're talking about ESG integration here, integrating this process into a lot of different functions. Yes. And that's where much of the industry is now. Okay. So as you alluded to earlier, there's a few major types of ESG investing in the investment solution landscape today. I'll just break those down because I think it's a, it's a good place to go now. So there's First of all, you could do negative screening. This is where if there's a list of companies or a universe, sectors, whatever you want to call it, that you could invest in, you remove the ones from your investable universe that you maybe think don't fit these ideas around environmental or social or governance factors. That's negative screening. You remove Then there's integration, which is where you include ESG factors in your investment analysis. And then there's best in class, where you purposefully select the highest rated ESG companies on, let's call it like multiple factors at once. Yeah. And and you can do any mixture of, of those options into one solution. You can have a negative screen and then do best in class underneath it. Uh, And some investors take it a little, a, a step further, depending on their goals and they include impact investing or shareholder activism. And that's where you can take stakes in specific companies to achieve specific goals and and change the outcomes of those companies. Okay. So we've gotten a little bit into the how, 
Um, I think there's a lot further that we could go, but before we get there, I guess just basic question, like do any of these methods work? Like is the process showing up in the data that ESG has a positive effect on meeting financial goals, whatever those goals might be. Yeah. By our research, a hundred percent. Yes, it works. Admittedly, the literature is quite mixed. If you, if you Google it, if you, if you do the news, you're going to get a, a lot of different results, a lot of different opinions. But back in 2016, we authored a meta study with Columbia university graduate students on ESG and when we were doing this work, we found that the majority of, of research found that ESG factors yielded a similar or better performance result across across the, the literature that we read. Interesting. And I, I do think it's important to say that, again, just as much as there's lots of different ways you could implement ESG, there's lots of views on whether this is something that you'd want to do in a portfolio, just like there's views on value versus growth or stocks versus bonds or all kinds of different investment questions. Again, this is just one other type of toolkit. Another way we could think about then whether it's working is to look at whether it's trending, right? And we are seeing it in the flows. ESG ETFs have nearly doubled in size since the start of this year. And we expect that these factors will continue to increase in popularity over the next few years, even decades. And so we're talking, if that's if that ends up being the case, which again remains to be seen, but if it is, then we would be talking about inflows equivalent to the size of the S&P 500 today. Yeah, it's, it's really substantial. It's very significant. Okay, but I have to be honest with you. As, as far as the industry has come in terms of measuring ESG factors and considering ESG ideas... This sounds a little bit like one of those lies, damned lies and statistics situations. So I I guess I'll come back to a similar question. Like, is ESG unambiguously good for investors? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And so I'm going to go back to that study I referenced earlier that we did with Columbia University graduate students. The biggest determinant of findings among all the studies that we put together in this meta study was the definition of ESG first, the data set that the researchers were using. And then finally, and I think most importantly, the portfolio construction technique. Interesting. Interesting. That sounds like um, maybe a portfolio pause, but before we get there, just, I, that's really important. I think that explains some of the pushback that we get on this topic and it is really tricky. Companies are required by their various securities regulators to report on certain factors like their revenues and their costs and potential risks to their financial planning and how much of their profits generate actual cash, which is the cash flow statement. And we're not actually all trained to measure some of the things that would qualify as ESG investing the way that we're required to look at that, you know, discounted cash flow analysis and all those CFA and MBA terms. So for example, you don't pay for clean air Or maybe investors don't always screen for employee satisfaction when they're doing their analysis, that type of thing. And so when you're saying that the results depend on ESG definition and the data sources and that type of thing, yeah, that that is that's pretty tricky. I think it's it's a data set that's building. It it definitely is. uh, And and to that point, there is a lot of misinformation and misconceptions out there, and it's going to be the industry's job to fix it whether that comes through regulation or whether that comes through financial firms recognizing the importance of, of um, the financial system being the catalyst for investments that can accelerate 
you know, economic resilience or sustainability, whatever, whatever it may be, or help the global economy transition to a net zero emissions economy, something like that. Um, I think we're going to have to see the industry step up and take a bigger, bigger role here. And that's why I'm really happy to see what New York Life Investments is doing. They're taking steps to address and close this information gap that we were talking about. They're providing high quality, actionable tools and resources to help financial advisors and intermediaries, institutional, and and eventually end investors learn the essentials of ESG, learn about the topics we've been talking about today. And so I highly suggest that our listeners go check out uh, Candrum Academy on the New York Life Investments website. The, the trend towards ESG investing is only going to increase. And so having that information toolkit will be really important. I completely agree. I think that the the trend is pretty clear and is likely to maybe even accelerate from here. And and look, I think um, when I think about ESG investing, sort of no matter what tools you choose to use, it, it it's helpful just to kind of think about it as a potential screening of risks. Responsible business activities should help you avoid idiosyncratic or one-off circumstances. Think about like big accounting scandals or reputational risks that result in the loss of customers, that type of thing. It can be difficult, um, you know, geopolitical risk and political risk are so hard to monitor. A lot of these ESG risks are, are similarly complex. So even just thinking about the investment teams you're using right now, um, good investment teams with good processes, that's something about, that we talk about all the time in terms of uncertain economic and investment environments. And so ESG processes are just giving those same teams more powerful tools to translate those ideas into action. Speaking of action and misinformation, that's a great transition into our portfolio pause, a section of the program where we share an investment idea. And This week, we answer a listener question. So thank you, everyone, for putting in such interesting questions, contacting us on social media to engage on this topic. Um, So Robert, I'll ask you, since you are a resident ESG expert, um, aren't ESG strategies just overweight tech, and that's why they're doing well, and that's why we see outperformance in that area lately? That's a really good question, and not surprised to have that question come in from our uh, listeners. There's been a lot of, or, or a couple different reports out there suggesting exactly that. But to answer that question, we have to go back to what I talked about earlier, which is the determinant of ESG outcome. And that comes back, or or all investing really, not just ESG investing. And that's proper portfolio construction and risk management. And so with that said, I think we have to address the elephant in the room. You mean that uh, tech giants account for 25, 30% of the S&P 500? Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So any strategy, ESG or not, that's benchmarking or following the S&P 500 as that benchmark or that sort of base case is likely going to have a heavy concentration in, in technology companies with a concentration like that. And so for an investor or an investment team, it's the weighting relative to that benchmark that's going to drive your return. So again, portfolio construction. Exactly, exactly. And so if you're thinking about your core portfolio as an investor, that's the long-term buy and hold, well-diversified portion of an investor's wealth, it's important to make sure that that portfolio has a 
constrained sector approach so that your sector active weights, the, 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 the change in your sector versus the benchmark doesn't dominate your strategy's performance. Got it. So it's 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 basically avoiding any any one sector or idea from having an outsized influence, um, whether that's size or something else um, on your portfolio. And so that way you end up with diversified sector exposure, which, you know, if we think about basic or um, sort of foundational investment ideas, diversification is one of them. And so once you can ensure from a portfolio construction perspective that you have that diversified spectrum sector exposure. From there, you let your ESG, whether it's negative screens or integration or best-in-class selection, do the job identifying those good sustainable companies, again, however you define good and sustainable. So from that perspective, what you're really looking for is the companies that will be here and relevant 20 years from now. Coming up this week... Earning season kicks off. Oh my gosh, it's that time already, huh? It definitely is. Uh, and I think this is going to be a really important earnings season. We're going to be listening to see if corporations rebounded in step with the reopened economy. Absolutely. Foundational to financial markets analysis always, but especially when we just still, even with economic data, don't have clear information on where companies are in this economy. So we will... Um, be looking forward to some analysis from you, Robert, maybe in the next couple of weeks. But for now, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. Yes. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. We've been getting these questions um, like the ESG question today. So we really do listen and we love to hear them. Yes. And our social media uh, outlet of choice is LinkedIn. So find us, uh, follow us, and and message us. Um, but in the meantime, you can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com forward slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Betts. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. 
New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.